Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. We were singing that you make the darkness tremble. And I was thinking about that. As we were singing that, then I, I just started singing, we make the darkness tremble. Because if it really is Jesus that makes the darkness tremble, and my, the life I live is no longer my own, but Christ who lives in me, then that means when I walk, when you walk into the room, darkness trembles. Why? Because the greatest power that has ever existed has entered into the room, and it has authority over anything that is there. The only thing that that's dependent on that was such a sweet chime. <laughs> the only thing that's dependent on is do we know it? Do we realize it? So it we, we talk about like the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covering the earth. It doesn't say that the glory will cover the earth like the water does the sea. It says for the knowledge of His glory will cover the earth like the waters do the sea. And so I just want to like, just encourage you to wake up in the morning... And, and, and tell yourself, like talk to yourself a little bit. You know what? There's so many voices speaking. Make sure that the one that you're listening to is the voice of truth. And if Jesus is in you, if the Holy Spirit's in you, if the Word of God is in you, that when you speak, it's just as powerful as Him speaking it because it's His words. And just look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself, you're a child of God. You were born right here, right now. You are where you are for a reason. You're not an accident. You were born on purpose. You have potential inside of you. The greatest force that has ever existed and ever will exist lives and dwells inside of you. And when you walk into any room, the most powerful thing that has ever walked into the room comes in. There is nothing that is greater than you that you ever face. For greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And just start talking to yourself and telling yourself Scripture and reminding yourself, I'm about to go out there into the world. And Jesus said, in this world you'll face trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. And I'm going to go out there with the force that's overcome the world inside of me. And I mean, yeah, awesome. Because <laughs> I, I I'm caged. <laughs> Those things feel like prison bars. <laughs> um, maybe one day when I get old and gray, I'll be like Bill Johnson, and I'll just kind of lean on the podium. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. But you tell yourself that. You'd be amazed at what actually getting the right mind before you go out and and face the world will do for you. Because if you're trying to figure out who you are in the midst of things, it's really hard. It's like trying to sail, learn to sail in the middle of the storm. No, you learn to sail while you're in the quiet bay, in the cove. You learn there, and then what's learned in the quiet cove is tested and proven out on the raging sea. And so before you go out and you're faced with anything, you get up in the morning and in that quiet place, in that place where there's nothing coming against you, there's nothing speaking anything against you, you start reminding yourself of truth and you remind yourself of who you are in Christ. And then you go out and you live from that place. That way you're not trying to find it in the moment, you've already found it in the morning. You've already found it and you're, you're living in that place. And, and so when you go out, when you live, it's in reaction to what the truth that's inside of you has already spoke over your life. You're not trying to find truth in the middle of it. You're bringing truth to the middle of it. You have the truth, and it's, it's right there. That's why David said, your praises will ever be on my lips. Why? Because there were so many times where David found himself in places that if he was trying to praise God in the middle of it, it would have been really hard to do. But if he walked into the middle of it with praises on his lips, then they just continued no matter what came. 
There's a place you can live like that. I promise you, the days of roller coaster living can be over if we'll fix our eyes on Him. If we'll actually believe the truth of what His Word says about who we are and who He is in us. The truth is there. We just have to believe it and actually live by it. You're going to live today putting your trust in some. Right now, every single one of you has put your faith in that chair that you're sitting in. You didn't even check the legs. Be, be honest. How many of you guys got down and made sure that the welds were still good? The screws were still tight? You trusted the safety. I mean, you know, you sit down and a chair collapses and you fall on your tailbone. You can get hurt, but you trust your safety to a seat that you've never even tested. Just be careful that the thing that you're putting your faith in is something that's trustworthy and proven. There's one thing if it's a chair. It's a whole other thing when it's your life. Make sure you've found something that's trustworthy, that's tested, that's proven. That's all I want to talk about today. I was... <clears throat> There's just this idea of trusting the Lord. You know, Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll make your paths straight. And it starts with trusting Him. Open your Bibles up to Genesis 3. I want to just, I want to, I want to teach from there this morning and speak from, from Genesis. Well, we're going to bounce all over the Bible like usual, but I want to start there. <clears throat> Genesis 3, verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight for the, to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that we have truth contained in a book. God, that we have truth contained by the Spirit of God within us. We have truth contained in a book. And, and as, we, as we yield to the Spirit and listen to what Your Word says, God, that we become more like You. That we discover who we've been created to be. I thank You for that, God. I thank You that the, the Word would go forth today into our ears, God, that, that our ears would be open to hear. Our minds would comprehend, God, for we have the mind of Christ. And that our hearts would be good soil. That the seed of Your Word would take root in our hearts, God. It would produce fruit. That a world that is lost and doesn't know You would taste the fruit of You in our lives and know that You're good. I thank You for that in Jesus' name. So, real quick, did you notice where the tree was that He said not to eat from? It's in the middle of the garden. I've always thought about this. I wonder why God didn't just hide it back in a corner. Why didn't he take that tree and put it in the back corner of the garden where it was a little bit muddy and no one wanted to go anyways? And then say, oh, and, and from the tree that's over there in the corner of the garden, if you ever end up over there, don't eat. You know why? I believe it's because he never intended for us to not do the things he's asked us not to do because we didn't have the ability to or because the opportunity wasn't there. 
I believe what he wanted was a people who trusted him so much that doing the things he called them to do, they could walk right by the thing he called them not to do and not even notice that it was there because they were so fixed on what he had called them to do. Their attention wasn't, don't eat the tree. Their attention was, tend to the land. Take care of everything. Have dominion. Have authority over everything. He told them everything to do. He said, while you're doing that, just don't eat of that one tree. You can eat of anything, just don't eat of that one. It's right in the middle. God never intended for the reason that you don't disobey Him to be because there was no opportunity. He's not a janitor that goes in front of you when you get born again that removes the opportunity to sin. He's a Savior that lives inside of you that shows you a better way to live so that even when the opportunity is there, you live your life as though it's not. Come on, wake up this morning a little bit. I'm serious. Listen to me. If your answer is to try to take that tree and move it to the corner of the garden, you've already lost because your focus is on the tree and not on the Father. And so he puts it right in the middle of it. And what does he want? He just wants Adam and Eve to trust. It's all he's ever wanted. Is to be trusted and obeyed. I'll promise you all he wants from you today is for you to trust him and obey him. Why? Because if you trust him and obey him, you'll grow in love for him. I promise you. Try it. Prove me wrong. Trust Him and obey Him and watch what happens in your life. Listen to me, the fruit of obedience is not always something you see immediately, but it is always something that begins to grow immediately. Whether you see the the fruit of your obedience in the moment or not, the minute you say yes to God and the minute you walk in obedience, the fruit begins to grow. It's just a matter of how long it takes for it to actually manifest and for you to see it. But just remember, always remember this, one day I will eat the fruit of today's decisions. One day... Someday, I don't know if it's tomorrow, I don't know if it's in a week, I don't know if it's in a month or a year or ten years, but one day I will eat the fruit of today's decisions. That shouldn't be a scary thing. That should be an amazing thing. We should be excited about that because the fruit of obedience is amazing. If that scares you to hear that, then there's probably an area of obedience that you need to go back and revisit and think about. A farmer doesn't go out into his, his, his fields and sow seed and then wonder what's going to come up. He doesn't spread corn seed all over the place and then walk out and go, oh, I hope it's not wheat, I hope it's not wheat, I hope it's not wheat. You know what crop's coming. You know. If you're expecting corn, it's because you've sowed corn. But there is a verse, this is not in the message, but I'll, it's a freebie for this morning because you guys came early. <laughs> but there is a verse that says that there's a day coming where the reapers will overtake the sowers. Could that mean that there's a day coming where the obedience that we have to God actually makes up for the times that we lived in disobedience and we start to reap from something that we didn't sow because the things that are being reaped are things that were not sown. They're actually gifts from God. Could it be that becoming born again and actually saying yes to God puts us in a path to walk where there's a day coming where I start to reap from the obedience of Jesus rather than the disobedience of me beforehand? It has to be that way because at some point it says the reapers will overtake the sowers. That means they're reaping something that wasn't sown. Come on, that's good news. The second service might get that. Maybe. 
No, but think about it, okay? So God puts them there, and that's all He wants, right? He just wants to be trusted and obeyed. That's it. So He puts the tree there to give them an opportunity to trust Him. What is He wanting them to trust Him in? He just wants them to trust Him that if He says don't do something, it's because it's for their best. That's it. Everything He's done is good. He's not done anything less than good for them. Everything He's created is beautiful. Everything He's created is good. Everything He's created is for man. Everything. The earth and the fullness of it. He says, you have dominion over everything. Now go and subdue it. Everything. He's done nothing less than good. He's given them no reason to mistrust Him. But at some point, for some reason, Eve has a trust issue and her trust issue leads to a sin issue. Long before she fell into sin, she had a trust issue. Because the enemy comes and says, did God really say? Did He say you can't eat of any of the trees? No. No, He said that we can eat of any of the trees with the tree in the middle of the garden. We can't eat or touch of that one. And the devil says, oh, or we'll surely die. And the devil says, oh, you won't surely die. Now, I don't know whether there was a trust issue with God that opened her up to hearing the voice of the enemy. Or if the voice of the enemy opened her up to a trust issue with the Father. And I suspect that in our lives, it happens both ways. See, I suspect if there's already an issue in my life where I don't fully trust God, I open myself up to hearing another voice speak. I open myself up to being deceived. Because if my trust isn't fully in Him, then I'm open to the idea that maybe there's something else that I could put my trust in that would be greater than Him. And all the enemy has to do is come along and point out what that is. So whether or not she was already struggling a little bit with a trust issue, in this case I don't think so. I think this began where the deception came which caused the trust issue. So he comes to her and says, listen, basically what he's saying is, oh no, God's a liar. He's not to be trusted. He's keeping something from you. And he's keeping it from you because he doesn't want something good for you. The first lie that Eve believed was that there was something good that God wanted to keep from her. God wants to keep nothing good from you. I promise you, if there's something that God's told you not to do, not to touch, not to see, not to say. It's not because He wants to keep you from something good. It's because He wants to keep you from harm. If we could settle that, see, if Eve would have settled that, here's the thing. Like, wait, we've talked about this before here, so I'm not going to go on about this point, but, but she, she, she was a little mixed up in her theology. Her theology wasn't exactly perfect because she said, oh no, we can, we can eat of any of the trees except the one in the middle. That's true. But the tree in the middle from that, we can't eat or touch. Or we'll surely die. God, God never said don't touch it. He just said don't eat it. But I firmly believe this. Even if her theology wasn't perfect, if she understood the heart of the Father, she wouldn't have been in a place where she wanted to eat the fruit. You don't have to have everything figured out. Here's... Something to make you breathe easier. No one does. Your theology isn't perfect. Mine isn't. 
To say that it is would be to say that one of us has the full understanding of God and who He is. We're learning. We're growing. We know more today than we did yesterday, and tomorrow we'll know more than we did today because we're learning and we're growing. We're becoming more like Him. We're constantly getting a revelation of who He is. But if we ever find ourselves in a place where we feel like we have complete, total revelation, we're wrong because for eternity we'll discover who He is. I promise you if it takes eternity to discover who He is, our lifetime on earth so far is probably a little bit short of having the full understanding of God. But here's the thing. If you could have this one thing figured out, then if there is an area where there's a little bit of deception, it would keep you from falling into sin, and that's this. He's trustworthy, and I believe Him over anything else, no matter what I see, no matter what I hear, no matter what I feel. Because if Eve would have established that in her heart, even if her theology was a little bit off, even if she added a little bit to what God said, and she did, Look, look, having a rule that says don't touch it is not a bad thing. If you never touch it, you never eat it. That's not a bad thing. It's just not what God said. That's what happened. See, this is how this, Eve was the first legalist. She was. She was the first legalist because what did she do? She put her own little rule in there, added it in, and then made it out to be that it was God's. And had this not happened, and she would have had children prior to this, and she would have taught her children, she would have passed on to them her own rule that she added to what God said and made it sound like that was what God said and would have passed on a legalistic rule with the best of intentions and with a good heart. And there's nothing wrong with a rule that says, hey guys, listen, kids, we can't eat from that tree, so the best thing to do is never even touch it. In fact, It might even be a good thing to say, don't even go near it. That's okay. But that's not what God said. And that's where legalism comes in. And see, what we do is because we don't understand the heart of the Father, we try to legislate through the understanding that we have. That's the base of legalism. That's where it started. Eve doesn't understand the heart of the Father. She doesn't understand. She has a rule, but she doesn't have an understanding. That's why you can't live your life based on rules and not understanding because at some point, if you're living off of a rule and one of your rules gets proven wrong, then what understanding do you have to keep you from it? That's why I firmly believe all the enemy had to do was was slither over to a tree, wrap his tail up around the tree, pick a piece of fruit, and touch it. And suddenly, what he believed is shattered because he's just violated her rule. Yet he hasn't died. And then when she picked it and held it, see, she still hasn't sinned. She's being tempted, but she hasn't sinned because she hasn't done what God said not to do. She hasn't eaten the fruit. But she's holding it in her hand and she hasn't died. And so now everything else, when you give somebody a rule and you tell them something and you say it's what God said, but it's what you said, and you don't make that clear to them and they don't understand that, when your rule gets violated, they won't know what to believe is true and what's not. And they may start to question everything. That's why we have to be really careful not to add to God's words. That's why we have to make really sure that when we're talking to people, we say, now this is what I believe. Or this is what I do personally in my own life. Or this is something that I've established. Why? Because we can't try to add to what God says and make people not live that way based on a rule. We have to be able to make sure they have an understanding. So what would be a better thing to say? Listen, God said not to eat of that. Why? 
because he knows that the minute that you eat of it, death will enter into the world. Listen, if the wage of sin is death, if there's sin, there's death. Even if you don't see it, something is dying. It doesn't matter whether you see it instantly or not. It doesn't matter if they fell dead to the ground the minute they ate the fruit. The minute they ate the fruit, something was dying. Something died. Something was lost. Every single time we do something contrary to what God called us to do in disobedience, there's something that's dying. Thankfully, He can resurrect the dead. But man, wouldn't you rather be the one standing there with the tomb while He raises somebody else than the one who's dead in sin that He has to resurrect? I'd rather be John looking into the tomb than Lazarus laying in there stinking. It's the truth. So Eve has a trust problem. And her trust problem becomes a sin problem because she doesn't understand the heart of the Father. And if she would have just understood His heart, if she would have just known, if He's told me not to do something, it's because there's a better way to live. That's the whole issue that we face in our lives. Is do we trust Him? Do I trust Him that His way of living is the best way there is to live? Or am I opening myself up because of a lack of trust to the voice of the enemy that comes along and says, did God really say this? For real? Oh man, I don't, why, I don't know why He would say that. It, this is so fun. You are missing out. God wants to keep this from you because He doesn't like you. He's not fun. Come on, we've believed this stuff, you guys. We believe that we're actually missing out by being obedient to the One who created us. And we found ourselves doing things that we never ever thought we would end up doing. And every single bit of it started with a lack of trust in Him. Every single bit of it. Think about it. Moses, right? Moses goes from being this guy that takes things into his own hands. Remember, he, he looks out and he sees an Egyptian abusing an Israelite. He looks around, doesn't see anybody, kills him, buries him in the sand and hides his body. Then his, Egyptian, his Israelite brothers find out what happened and they, they say, what, are you going to kill us too? And he realizes, oh no, everybody knows about this thing. So he flees to the desert. And he sees the burning bush. Right? And God says, Moses, I'm going to send you to deliver my people. The first thing his response is to God is, I can't. I don't know how to speak. I can't. You know, we always have these reasons. We can't do the things God's calling us to do. Come on, it's natural. The first thing that he thought of was the reasons why he couldn't. God, I can't speak. Never mind the fact that the God of the universe is telling you he's going to use you to do this. If Moses would have just trusted God, he never would have killed the Egyptian. He would have waited on God's timing. He never would have had to spend 40 years in the backside of a desert. And he never would have questioned when a burning bush was speaking to him. But look, check this out. What's amazing is, is that as he grows in relationship with the Father, as he grows in intimacy with Him, as he spends time with Him, as he gets to know Him, Moses, who doesn't even trust God for timing on, on when he's supposed to deliver the people, Moses, who doesn't even trust that God can make him able to speak to a person. You realize like saying Pharaoh, God said let His people go, is probably easier than a lot of the things that Moses had to do? Like in the grand scheme of things, just saying something to somebody isn't that big a deal, or is it? 
Because sometimes when we know God's telling us to say something to somebody, you should see the fear that wells up inside of us. Instead of the darkness trembling, it's our knees because we don't want to go over and say something to the person even though we know that the God of the universe has told us to. So let's be easy on Moses. Because he had to go speak to Pharaoh. You've only had to go speak to your neighbor. Come on. I mean, not you guys in here. I'm talking to the podcasters. And that's in my notes for second service. I know the holy people that come to the 9 o'clock, you guys go talk to your neighbors so God tells you to. But you can imagine those 11 o'clockers. They need help in prayer. But check out, just a little short time later, he spends time with God. And what is he doing? God's revealing to him his character and his nature and who he is. And Moses begins to build this relationship with God. And later in in Exodus chapter 14, verse 10, such a famous verse, right? As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. They became very frightened, so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, isn't it because there were no graves in Egypt you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Don't be so surprised if when God calls you to something, the people that He calls you to aren't exactly like fired up and and marching in step the second you tell them what God said. What what are they saying to Moses? We told you this was going to (laughs) happen. Meaning what? Meaning when Moses went to them in Egypt, they said, no, we don't want to go because we're just going to die out there. We'd rather stay here and serve the Egyptians. And Moses probably was really tempted to be like, then stay here and die. But he can't because he's listening to God. He doesn't have that luxury. But Moses said to the people, notice this. This Notice where the conversation Moses has with God falls in the chronological order here. The people are complaining and they cry out to God. Then they complain to Moses. And Moses looks at the people. He says, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. How does Moses go from being someone who doesn't even believe that he can speak on God's behalf to someone who looks at the children of Israel and says, relax. You're not going to have to fight those Egyptians. All you have to do is stand and watch God will take care of this for you. The Egyptians, Moses, what is he doing? He's declaring the nature and the character of God because he's built that through trust and through relationship with him. Listen, before God says a word, Moses looks at them and says, you see those Egyptians? You will never see them again forever. How does that happen? It happens through spending time with him. 
It happens through listening to him. It happens through understanding his heart and seeing his nature and seeing his character. It comes through trusting him in little things and watching him be faithful over and over and over and over again so that when you come to a big thing, the natural response of your heart is to trust so that there's not already a mistrust inside of you that the enemy can come along and say, did God really say? Because if Moses doesn't trust God at this point, it's so easy for the enemy to say, did God really say to take these children out of Egypt? Did God really say lead them to this place? Did God really say that that he's going to provide for them? Did God really say to do this? Because look, Moses, there's an army behind you and there's an ocean in front of you, but the enemy has no place to even speak into his ear because Moses trusts the Lord. There are so many attacks that you'll never know about when your eyes are fixed on him and you trust him because you don't even give the devil a foothold to come and speak into your life. Because he's a shield to those that trust him. And he encircles them. He's a fortress about them. I love this. Bill Johnson said integrity, and I'm going to add in there, and trust in the Lord is like a wall around the city. This is what God says, that He encircles those who trust Him, that He's a fortress that we run to. How many of you know that if you're inside the fortress, which has huge stone walls around it, if there's someone outside with a slingshot throwing throwing rocks at the wall, you don't even know it. You don't have to live your life constantly trying to fight off attack. You have to live live your life trusting Him and trusting that He's actually defending you. So that your life isn't constantly having to be... You don't even know how many times you haven't been attacked because God has warded it off for you because your trust is in Him and you didn't even have to go to the place of being attacked and trying to find the Lord. You already found Him before the attack came and He defended you. He was a shield about you. Come on. This is what trust in the Lord does. This is what, like, this has been just stirring in me of this place of like, I've got to find any place in my life where my trust isn't 100% fully in Him. Because any place in my life where I trust is not 100% in Him and what He said is an area of my life where I'm open to deception and I'm open to be leading, led into disobedience. So God, show me, is there any place in my life where I don't fully trust you? Because I want to trust you with everything. I don't ever want to find myself in a place where I believe that there's something better than what you've promised or what you've spoken or what you've been or shown me. God, is there any place in my life where the devil could come and say, has God really said? Where I don't know your heart. See, because we can trust Him with our salvation for eternity. Right? Like, it's not like Eve didn't trust God for anything. The problem is, is that you don't have to not trust Him for anything that makes you open to attack. It's not trusting Him with everything that exposes you to attack. Because I promise there were places where Eve trusted Him. I promise it wasn't like Eve just completely thought God was untrustworthy. And we can fool ourselves sometimes because we've entrusted part of our life to Him and feel like, well, see, no, but I really do trust God. You may in that area of your life, but is there any other area of your life where you actually don't trust God? Because He's after everything. He doesn't just want your yes for eternity and for salvation to spend eternity with Him in heaven. He wants your yes every single day for today. So many of His promises are only valid here on earth. 
Do you understand that like once you get to heaven, so many of the things He spoke over your life, you'll no longer be able to do. You realize you won't be able to live by faith when you get to heaven. Well, because what is seen is no longer hoped for. Right? And faith is the evidence of things or substance to things hoped for. I always screw that one up. <laughs> Come on, one out of 74 isn't bad. <laughs> now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. But what is, and then later when Paul's talking about that in Romans, he says, but what is seen is no longer hoped for. In other words, there's coming a day where I will no longer have to live by faith because I'll actually see with my eyes what I've trusted in my heart. And there's so many things here on earth that I can trust Him with, but there can be other areas of my life where I just don't. Like, I was, the other day, uh, we went to Moe's, and I'm just going to, I'm going to wrap up with this, and we're going to have a time of prayer, but I went to Moe's, and I was, um, we were eating, and so we went through the line, and me and Patty got salads, and the kids got burritos, and we got a cup of cheese, because the kids love the cheese, and... (laughs) We're like, you guys want cheese, right? <laughs> and and uh, their queso is so good, though. <laughs> it is. Um, and so, so we go through the line, and, and we get our food, and we get to the end of the line, and, and I go to pay, and the girl says, you know, twenty five sixty four or whatever the total was. And so I, I gave her the card. I wasn't even thinking. And as I walk back to the table, I, I, it registered. I, like, I saw the receipt, and I'm like, I quickly did the math in my head. I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is a a a a. That's 32 for those four. Never mind that she, well, she way undercharged me. So I went and put the tray down on the on the table, and I said to Patty, I said, um, man, she she way undercharged me. I got to go back up there and pay. And so I I put the tray down on the table. I walked back up, and I walked up to the girl's register, and I said, hey, there is no way my food was 25 bucks. And she got real defensive. She's like, yeah, no, it was the, 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 the salads or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm saying there's no way you charged me enough. There's no chance. My food should have been way more than $25. I got four things that were $8 each plus cheese and a couple of drinks. And she went and looked back and register and she goes, oh my gosh, I forgot to charge you for the salads. Thank you so much for coming up here. And I was like, yeah, no problem. So I handed her my card, and she charged me the extra, whatever it was, $17 or something like that, and handed me the, the receipt back. And I walked back to the table, and I didn't even think about it. It's just that's what you do, right? And <clears throat> I was talking to Patty about that this morning, and we were just talking about this idea of God encircling us and being a shield about us and being a protector and being a wall. And this idea that there's a place of living and trusting Him where the attacks may come, but because our trust is in Him and because He's our fortress, so many times we don't even feel the attack. Because He's like a huge stone wall encircling us. He is an encampment about those that trust Him. You're inside that. You're hidden in Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ. Christ isn't getting pelted with rocks. There's a shield that's far greater. There's a wall that's far greater. And so many of the attacks of the enemy are thwarted before you even realize that they came because your trust is in Him. And we were just talking about this morning. I said, you know what's funny is the other day at Moe's, because the, the girl was like freaking out. Like, I can't believe you came up and paid. And um, it could have been like, well, I'm a Christian, so... <laughs> And I do CrossFit sometimes. I haven't in a long time. 
I don't have it in my heart yet, but I will. Um, so we were talking about that this morning, though, and I said, you know, it's funny is the other day at most, I didn't even have the thought that I could keep the money. Like, the attack of you could just not say anything and keep that didn't even come. I'm not saying that the enemy didn't try. I'm saying I trust that God's my provider, not the mistake that the girl in Moe's register made. That I have because He blesses me with His hand, not because I steal from the girl who made the mistake. Would it have been stealing at that point when I realized? Yes, it would have been. For me, it would have been wrong. Because I knew better, and now it's up to me to go back and do the thing that's right. But here's the point. I didn't have to sit there and battle with the enemy and quote Scripture to him and tell him, well, my God will supply all of my needs according to His riches. I didn't have, thou shalt not steal. I didn't have to quote Scripture to him and fight him off. No, I'm serious. Listen to me. It wasn't like I sat there and had a wrestling match in Moe's with the enemies. Why? Because that's already settled in my life because my trust is in Him. And so I'm leaning not on my own understanding, but in all my ways, acknowledging Him. What does that mean? That means in everything that I do, I'm asking myself, am I trusting Him with this? In all my ways. Not just in some of my ways. Not just with my eternal way. Those are important. Look, the the free gift of salvation for eternity is the most amazing thing ever that Jesus came and died on a cross and poured out His blood for the forgiveness of my sins because I deserved separation from God and hell forever. And He became sin who knew no sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is the most amazing thing ever. But it is accepting that is the beginning of a journey that lasts for eternity. And there's a long road in front of me that He's called me to walk. And there's trees right in the middle of that road. And He doesn't go in front of me like some celestial lumberjack cut down the trees to make sure that there's no chance that I eat the fruit. No, what does He say? He says, just trust me. Just trust me. And I, I, the thing I may call you to might put you right in the middle of where the tree is. And guess what? You can walk right by it and never even be tempted if your trust is in me. But if there's an area of my life... See now, what if, what if I don't trust Him with my provision? What if I really somewhat feel like my provision is my responsibility? Not that I don't have to work. Not that I don't have to be a wise steward. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying ultimately, He is my source. I believe that. That's firmly rooted in me. That ultimately, no matter what form it comes into my life from, that He is the one who gives everything. That He's my provider. That He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I believe that. What if I don't? See, what if in all this, in, in this way, in my financial way, I lean on my own understanding? And in all my ways, I don't acknowledge Him. He can't direct my path. See, there's a condition. It'd be foolish to think that I can disregard the first half of that commandment and expect to receive the blessing of the second half. Because it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. What does that mean? That means there's going to be times where trusting Him requires something that is greater than your own understanding. It has to. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. 
So I trust in Him with all my heart. I don't even consider my own understanding. I didn't even bring my own logic or reasoning into it. I didn't go, well, I've been here so many times before and there's been times I came here and I paid for something that I didn't get. Like when I get quesadillas, they don't give me the sour cream every time and I bet I've done it 30 times and I bet that would add up to the price of us. You would be amazed at how well you can rationalize something if you want to when you're leaning on your own understanding. You can justify anything. You can find a reason. And if you can't find one, there's an enemy, the enemy of your soul, who will make sure he finds one. And he comes to you and says, did God really say? Do you really have to go back up there? I mean, it's her mistake. It's, you know, you came here to have have dinner with your family. You don't have that much time. Why would you take a few minutes of your time that's precious and valuable just because someone else made a mistake? And look at the line. Are you going to go stand behind? See, he's right there. And I promise you, I would have heard all that stuff if I wasn't walking in a place where my trust is in the Lord. But because in that area of my life, my trust is in Him, He's a shield about me, and I don't even have to sit there and mose and fend off the attack of the enemy. Guess what? Every single place of your life where the enemy would try to attack is a place where you can trust God and He can be your shield and your defender and the buckler about you. There's not a place in your life that He can't be that for you. There's not a stone big enough the enemy can throw that you have to fight off if your trust is in Him. I promise you. It doesn't mean that, you know, that in the world you won't see things, like you won't face things ever, or there won't be things that happen to you, or people do things to you. What I'm saying is, is that your heart can be in a place where the response that comes is directed by Him. And there's not even a battle going on where you're trying to figure out if you're going to do the right thing or not. Because that was already decided a long time ago. Because my life doesn't belong to me. I've surrendered it to Him. And I've denied myself and I'm following Him every single day. And I've made that decision before you even make the accusation. I found myself just this past week, if I'm being honest, there was I had a couple hours of discouragement-ish. I just don't live in discouragement. I don't. And I'm not saying that to be like, oh, look at me. I'm just saying like, it's look at Him. Because that's why I don't live in discouragement because I do look at Him. And, but I, there, I, I had some accusations hurled at me that were unfounded and whatever. And, you know, but here's the thing. I couldn't even get myself to go to a place of wanting to be angry at the person or wanting to hate the person or wanting to, to fight the person or anything like that because my heart was already determined before I left the house that morning. All that it was waiting was to see what have I determined that towards. I've already given him my yes. Now I'm just wondering what that yes looks like in the course of a day, not wondering if I'm going to keep saying yes. I write him a blank check yes in the morning. That's what we do as followers of Jesus. You walk out that door and you write him a blank check yes. And that yes says, whatever you ask of me, I will say yes to. Now it's just my day is discovering what did that yes look like? What does it look like today, Father? What did saying yes to following Jesus today look like? What does trusting you look like today, God? Because I'm going to trust you. I just don't know what that looks like today. But I promise you, when the choice comes, I'm going to trust you. I'll walk right by that tree and I won't even look at the fruit. It says, I'll just close off with this. My second closing, closing. It says, then when Eve saw that the fruit was desirable for touch and good for eating, Listening to the voice of the enemy caused her to look where she was never supposed to look. Caused her to start imagining. How do you see that something's good to eat? 
How do you, yeah, but how do you see that something's good to eat? You can't see that something's good to eat if you've never tasted it before. You start thinking, man, I bet that would be really good. And suddenly her imagination is telling her something that God never did. And it all started because she wasn't settled in her heart that in this area of my life, I'm going to trust Him. Had she already settled that, there wouldn't have been a desire to look. There wouldn't have been a place for the enemy to speak. She never would have had fruit in her hand and it would have never entered her lips. I promise you, you can walk through a forest of those trees and not be tempted to look because your eyes are fixed on the one who said, look at me, the author and finisher of your faith. Father, we thank you for that today. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to say yes to you, God. God, we thank you that you're trustworthy. God, that you're faithful and true. God, we, we just ask that if there's any areas of our lives, God, that we aren't wholly submitted and trusting in you, God. If there's any area of our lives where we're leaning on our own understanding and not acknowledging you, God, we want you to direct our path, Father. And so we repent for leaning on our own understanding and not acknowledging you in an area of our lives. And God, we ask, would you come and direct our steps? Would you come and direct our path? Would you make our path straight? God, I thank you that in a forest of trees, with fruit hanging all over them, our eyes are fixed on you, the one who hung on a tree and said, eat of me, drink of me. You'll never be hungry. You'll never be thirsty again. You know, if you're getting your fill of Him, you won't look to get your fill of something else. You realize that everything you have a need for, He's created a way to fulfill that need. And if you're getting your needs filled by Him, you won't have a need for anything else. It's the truth. So God, I just ask right now that we would find our fulfillment in You in every area of our life, God. That we would trust that if there's anything you've said no to, God, it's for our good not to keep something from us, but to keep us from something that would destroy us. God, I ask right now that if there is any area that's coming up into our minds right now, listen to me, if there's any area of your life right now where I'm talking where you say, you know what, I have leaned on my own understanding. I have not acknowledged Him. I don't trust Him fully in that area. Would you just right now let it go and ask Him to come and teach you in that area? Seek Him out in the Word. You know, there's something in the Word that's a promise from Him that you can put your trust in. I promise you, there's somewhere in the Word you can find a promise from Him that you can anchor in and you can put your trust in in any area of your life where you may be tempted to lean on your own understanding. Where you can actually acknowledge Him and say, God, I'm leaning on You. I'm acknowledging You. And I thank You that You're directing my path. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.